Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research, and today we will be discussing CISA's Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, or JCDC. With me today are Deputy Editor Kate Macri, Staff Writer Researcher Nikki Henderson, and Staff Writer Researcher Anastasia Obis. Welcome, everyone. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Hi, Alex. So let's start today's episode with an overview of JCDC. Kate, for those who are not familiar, can you tell us a little bit about this? Yes. So JCDC is the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative that was launched in 2021 by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. And when CISA Director Jen Easterly announced the launch of this collaborative. They stylized it like the classic rock band ACDC because it was part of their whole like campaign to make cybersecurity and cyber information sharing in particular like cool. It was very dramatic. Anyway, so the point of this collaborative is to create this trustworthy like circle of federal agencies and industry partners to share important cyber threat and incident information with CISA in a timely manner. Because one of the big things about cybersecurity that people are bad at, and this is true across government and industry, is sharing information about anything that looks suspicious or actually is suspicious, you know, like an actual cyber incident that's happened. Because that information can be really valuable for CISA to find out, you know, how the cyber attack happened or if something is about to happen and share that information with other people who may be at risk. So it's a really cool initiative. And this year they have announced a planning agenda for 2023. And I'm hoping we can talk about that a little bit today. So it sounds like JCDC is the Avengers of the federal government which I guess raises the question of which agency is which superhero. Do you have any correlations that come to mind? Like, who's Captain America? That is a great question. I'm going to have to think about that. Can you ask me again at the end of the episode? Of course. Listeners, stay tuned for very well thought out and totally not off the cuff comparisons of federal agencies to the Avengers But until then, let's talk a little bit more about some of the priorities of JCDC. Um, I think one that immediately comes to mind is supply chain risk, which is a topic that we have tracked over the last few years. What are some trends related to supply chain risk? So supply chain risk tends to be a topic that DHS likes to talk about a lot. And I haven't covered DHS in a while, but I can talk about it a little bit now. So supply chain risk management is really important from like an IT perspective. There was concerns for a while. I mean, there are still concerns around where we're getting IT equipment, parts, like hardware (laughs) manufactured. And that can be a national security risk, depending on circumstances around that. But a big one, and this is kind of connected to the JCDC planning agenda for 2023, is software supply chain risk and open source software and some of the concerns around that. So Anastasia actually recently had a story about open source software 
risk. Anastasia, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I recently spoke with Dr. Tom Rondo. He's the new principal director for future G5G at the Department of Defense Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering. He took over the portfolio of 5G and future G or future generation wireless networks. So Dr. Rondo told me that open source software is a really critical technology that the DOD needs to be working with a lot more because open source will help better secure systems. It will help speed up innovation. And as we all know, the industry has been leveraging open source in order to create their innovation cycles. So roughly speaking, it's about 90% of all software projects are built on top of open source software. And over 90% of that code is open sourced. So the Defense Department is trying to move away from building everything from scratch because if everything is so closed off, it means that every time there is a need to build something new, it requires a whole department effort. It requires a lot of resources to do that. So last year, John Chairman, the Defense Department's Chief Information Officer, he wrote a memo and it pretty much instructed the DOD to use open source software by default, which means that if there is an open source software package that meets specific needs, it should be used. And the option of kind of going to a proprietary solution is only on the table when there is no open source software package that meets somebody's particular needs. And also the last paragraph, of the memo, it explains the two key issues that people have with open source software. And basically the first one is the loss of intellectual property. And the second one is security. So Dr. Rondeau says that while the model of a thousand eyes looking at software is useful, it's less impactful than the ability for developers to come together and work together and smooth out the coding styles jointly. So the more people use the code, it drives them to fix the code presented. The code becomes more readable. It becomes more interpretable. It becomes easier to fix the problems when they occur, which they inevitably will. So with this approach, you now have better code base that is built into infrastructure. So now with the DevSecOps model, that they are incorporating, they can fix the bugs that they discover faster, roll the patches out faster, and create a cycle of innovation. And just like I mentioned, it's impossible to secure your systems 100%, but Dr. Rondeau says that the open source model and the DevSecOps approach is all part of that solution and why it needs to be full focus of the DoD systems. So in terms of the dependencies in open source in his organization, they're working with a lot of open source software developers on the radio access network and the core. So basically the simplistic breakdown is that you have your device, be it a smartphone or a laptop, you have the radio access network or RAN, the core network, and then you have the transport network. So these are kind of the structures. And Dr. Rondo's organization have been utilizing a lot of open source tools and developing a lot of open source code in order to meet the challenges that each of those provides.
they're leveraging a lot of the standard open source tools that exist on the internet. Some of the key tools they're leveraging right now include Open5GS, Free5GC, and Ether from Open Network Foundation. And also, as far as open source goes, it's not just the code that they're using and deploying in their systems. It is also the tools that they use to develop them. And kind of to paint a broader picture, last year, the Defense Department released its software modernization strategy, and it calls for a department-wide software factory ecosystem. And it now has over 30 software factories across military services. So, yeah. Wow. So a lot going on with open source uh, software. And I guess to me, it, you know, when I hear open source software, I really do think about the potential for, you know, if there's an error in that code for it to be exploited really quick. But it sounds like there are, you know, a lot of smart people thinking of ways to avoid that or at least mitigate that risk. It really does seem like this fine balance between security and convenience, being able to use stuff that's not as like prepackaged and ready made, while also still trying to maintain that security. Is that a good read? Yeah, that sounds about right to me. And I think that's kind of, that's something that JCDC is trying to balance and address there because there's inherently a lot of risk and there's a lack of cyber training around how to deal with this. So it's something that, you know, can largely be solved by more communication and information sharing, especially if we're talking about open source, because you will often have people pulling from the same code. And so if if one person's having problems, other people are going to be having problems, which is probably why this is a big initiative for JCDC. Before I move on to Nikki, I wanted to add something about supply chain risk management for IT in general. So I think one of the reasons why this is such a tricky and difficult area from a cybersecurity standpoint is if you're talking about risk management, you're talking about things that you don't know if they're going to happen yet. Basically, you're trying to like manage for the risk. And that can be really hard from a supply chain perspective because you don't always have visibility into everything that's going on in your supply chain, or there might be a lag on what information you're getting and when. And one of the things that government has struggled with quite a bit that uh, federal agencies have been talking about for a while is defining requirements for supply chain risk control uh, for contractors. And that can be that can be really tricky because finding a like common set of standards or like requirements for how do you manage how do you manage risk? That can be really nebulous because people will define risk different ways. And like a contractor might define risk differently from like, say, DOD, who might have stricter requirements for what acceptable risk looks like. And that's something DOD's uh, CMMC requirements is trying to address. So I'll be interested to see how JCDC kind of dovetails or maybe doesn't <laughs> with DOD's own efforts in that area for the defense industrial base. Yeah, and it really feels like there's this underlying theme that technology in the federal government for the longest time, it seems like it was just the Wild West out there. It's been so gradual in its kind of, I guess, development and incorporation 
that nobody really thought to, I guess, standardize it until we've reached this point. I guess that's where, you know, everything that we're talking about really stems from. It's that, yeah. Well, it's the classic, like, age-old problem of technology developing at a faster pace than what, like, government standards or requirements, especially when we're dealing with contractors, can keep up with. And I think the point of JCDC and other similar initiatives is to kind of like try to to manage it as it develops, if that makes sense, to like have a more flexible approach to like managing that kind of risk associated with newer technologies so that it's not like, okay, we're just going to like slap some rules on you and say, you can't use that. And like, you have to have this delivered by like this date. It's more like, okay, what can we do to like manage this? Cause you're going to use it anyway. And we want part of that because it could really make us more efficient. So it's like a more of a partnership and like flexible, like what's an acceptable level of risk that we can manage and handle kind of thing. Right, right. And keeping up with technology as it develops and incorporating security into that, is that is that what DevSecOps is? Oh my God, Alex, you're right. Oh my goodness. After all this time, I finally learned the true meaning of DevSecOps. As I process that, uh, Nikki, <laughs> jumping over to you, we can talk about all of these cybersecurity issues, but there's a real tactile thing underlying it, which is energy, which you know we get from a variety of sources. But I think there's been a real emphasis lately on sustainable and resilient energy. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure, Alex. We have seen just an increase in cyber threats overall the last couple of years with ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline, um, there have been numerous attacks on like water treatment plants and even utility companies. So it's really causing alarm. And CISA has identified energy and water as high risk areas for resilience efforts in its Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative um, for this year. So the thing is, is that CISA really is focusing primarily on the energy and water sectors because of this increase. So they are doing everything they can to try to outline, um, you know, steps that can be taken to prevent the cyber attacks and the ramifications. CISA has two primary goals with the JCDC when it comes to the Department of Energy. First, they want to deepen their operational collaboration and integration with DOE. And second, they want to provide better protection to edge devices used within the water sector, such as meters and testing tools. So this is Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity, Eric Goldstein. He talks about how all organizations need cybersecurity guidelines to prevent you know, malicious actors from attacking our systems, but especially energy and water. There are two areas of, he says, uh, systemic risk for cyber intrusions, which gives these hackers an opportunity to cause widespread damage. So the JCDC will provide detailed guidance for protection for these networks and all sectors. So throughout the year, they will be discussing the collaborative efforts and outlining these uh, cyber priorities. Now, as of right now, 
Um, the Department of Energy has a federal energy management plan, and it actually will align with JCDC. It offers a guide for resilience planning and strategic integration for secure tools and tackles management challenges from cybersecurity threats. They also, within that plan, um, DOE uses a technical resilience navigator, and that helps them better manage risk to critical missions and avoid interruptions in energy and water services. So it provides a more of a systemic approach to identifying energy and water resiliency gaps and developing and prioritizing um, solutions uh, that reduce risk. So overall, these components combined will provide a larger blanket of protection from cyber attacks for the energy and water sectors. And they will be able to better identify vulnerabilities so those risks can be eliminated quickly and avoid interruption and, or even a shutdown of the in infrastructure that provides energy and water, not only to our communities, but also to our military bases. Thank you, Nikki. Kate, Anastasia, anything you want to add? The only thing I would add is, again, I'm interested in how this is going to sync with DOD's cybersecurity maturity models certification system, CMMC, which has, you know, been a fraught uh, standard because industry hasn't liked it. And so they've gone back and forth on different versions of it. We actually have the person who is in charge of that program, Stacy Bostjanik, speaking at our Cyberscape event on March 2nd. So everyone, please come to that event and listen to her talk about CMMC and hybrid cloud and cybersecurity, et cetera. But I'm interested in what and how this will affect defense industrial base companies in particular, because they're going to have some overlap with what JCDC is doing. I mean, this is an industry and government partnership and the DIB, that's companies that work with DOD. So it'll be interesting to see like how DOD gets roped into this, especially from an information sharing standpoint, because there's only so much you can share depending on what kind of work you're doing with DOD. So yeah, I'm interested to see where this goes in terms of the agenda this year and how they work across the different federal agencies like DOD on issues like open source software risk, which is, as Anastasia was talking about, open source software is a big initiative at DOD to accelerate their software modernization efforts. So, yeah. Did you want to add anything, Anastasia? Or are you good? Yeah, just to add to the open source model piece of the conversation, I want to emphasize how essential it is to software development. But because of all these recent high-profile cyber incidents that we've all heard of, and then literally thousands and thousands of letter-known ones, just for example, the recent one that we reported on a little bit, uh, which is Pushwish, and it ended up in the Armis application and the CDC's application. So there are so many lesser known cyber incidents, and they have kind of highlighted the weaknesses within software supply chains and open source security. And so so this conversation, it's gone from a side conversation within the last couple of years to literally the highest levels within organizations. So, yeah, I'm curious to see what that guidance will look like for the DoD. 
So we've talked about supply chain risk, open source software risk, (laughs) risk to our energy and water. What does this all mean for federal agencies? And I know we've covered that in one way or another over the course of our conversation, but if we can have a quick lightning round of top takeaways for our listeners. Um, Nikki, can we start with you? I think that it just means that, especially like the energy and water sectors, that whatever they, the projects and the plans that they already have implemented, I just think, um, I guess echoing what Kate said earlier about everyone needs to come together under one umbrella and work together and really try to just look at the guidelines closely and follow them so that they can just try to prevent these cyber attacks. And I think if everyone's unified, has a unified front, we'll be able to to reduce those um, cyber attacks and protect our systems better. Yeah, so top takeaways from my perspective are, what is this going to look like compared to DOD initiatives that are already underway? And also, you know, things like software bill of materials and maintaining a record of software used and how it's used can really go a long way on the open source software supply chain risk management piece. But also there is some rulemaking that is developing around this issue. So the White House released a memo on enhancing the security of the software supply chain through secure software development practices last year. Congress is interested in some legislation that would secure open source software or at least provide some guardrails around that. So I think that's also something to look forward to. But the big takeaway I feel like really is JCDC is focusing on cybersecurity trends where there can be more information sharing and more communication to produce a more flexible approach to managing cybersecurity risk and common IT applications and approaches to modernizing IT. Yeah, so just to emphasize, you know, how the open source ecosystem is so interconnected um, through dependencies. So for example, if you include one component, it depends on so many other components. And at the end of the day, it's your organization that is responsible for everything that ships, including open source software. And an attacker doesn't really care who wrote that piece of vulnerable software. So for example, I've recently talked to uh, a couple of software factories across the DOD and the top priority at the Army Software Factory in 2023 includes developing a software bill of materials. I asked them about how much they rely on the guidance that comes from CISA, and they said that not a lot, but we're looking forward to developing a software bill of materials that we can incorporate into our operations. So I think that's what it means, and that's what it's going to look like. It's going to be just responding quickly and quicker than they uh, have been to breaches and software vulnerabilities, pretty much. Well, thank you all for these great insights. As promised, I believe, Kate, you put together some comparisons between federal agencies and the 
members of the Avengers. I can see on the list that you have here that we're looking at the original 2012 film lineup. Care to explain your choices? Yeah, so there's so many Avengers, so I decided to just go with the original group. Captain America is the Office of the National Cyber Director, because that just, you know, that makes sense. I would say Iron Man is CISA for obvious reasons. Although you could also make the case that Iron Man just generally represents industry, <laughs> specifically the defense industrial base. Uh, the Hulk is uh, Cybercom. There wasn't really a whole lot of thought behind that. I just had to put him somewhere. Hawkeye's the FBI. I feel like that makes sense. And then Black Widow, NSA, obviously. Sorry, Anastasia. Thor is Air Force. Anastasia, Nikki, do you do you have any disagreements? I love those. Thank you, Kate. No, I actually agree. So <laughs> I guess my one question is which agency is Ant-Man? That is a great question. Good way to capitalize on that movie coming out like next week. Is it this weekend, actually? Or is it next weekend? I think it's next Friday, the 17th. Wow. OK, I didn't even think about that. What's the smallest federal agency? I mean, CISA is pretty tiny. <laughs> if we could call it maybe NIST. I kind of was thinking of NIST, yeah, uh, but also the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering. There you go. Yeah. Well, we, we could spend all day going through all of these superheroes and <laughs> assigning them to a federal agency. I mean, Doctor Strange, who even knows what uh, that would translate into? But what's the most important thing here? is that we are going to continue to keep up with any and all developments in cybersecurity. After all, we are Cybercast. So to get deep analysis and insider perspective on what's trending in federal cybersecurity, subscribe to and follow Cybercast and visit our website at govciomedia.com. We'll be back in two weeks for another episode. But until then, I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Kate Macri. I'm Nikki Henderson. And I'm Anastasia Opus. And JCDC, assemble. That's so stupid. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for listening. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.